This is episode number 57, Collaboration Over Competition, Redefining Feminine with Cat Canada of Ladies Aloud. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of plant-based nutrition, mindset, and inspiring stories. The well of success isn't ever empty. Everyone can succeed, and one person's success won't take away from your own. So it's really reframing the mind in that way of how can you see yourself and other people, both when they succeed and maybe when they don't, and stay humble with it, and then move forward together in that space. Today's guest is pretty cool. She is a lady who started an amazing website and it's all about creating collaboration among women. And we'll get into that soon. But first I just got back from Squamish and I was there doing a two day challenge. It's, it's a two day stage race, but stage racing isn't really a stage race unless I think it's like four plus days, but there's lots of shorter ones, but it was a great time. The weather was amazing. There was really fun people everywhere and, and a really strong field of women. And this kind of plays in today's show, how we can choose to look at our competition as people who have the chance to make us better. Squamish is my favorite place to mountain bike on the entire planet, but I also want to invite you to a mountain bike vacation with me, and we're only taking 11 more people, spots are limited, but it's called the Sonia Looney Experience, and it's in Bend, Oregon, October 4th through the 7th, and it includes everything. All you have to do is show up, so we have three different guided rides for all different ability levels. You can rent a bike if you don't want to travel with your bike. There's food, there's yoga, there's brewery tours are speaking. We're going to record a live podcast and we're all just going to hang out and have an awesome time. So go to sonyalooney.com slash retreats. And I would love, love, love to see you guys there and make sure you get signed up soon and bring a friend. Super appreciate you guys listening to the show. Thank you so much for coming back and also for sharing the show with your friends. It's also really fun when you screenshot the show and post it on social media because I like to connect with you guys and then all of your friends can see where to listen as well. There's a new Moxie and Grit sock dropping like it's hot next week. So make sure that you are paying attention on the Moxie and Grit Instagram. We'll be showing it. I'll be putting it on my page and I'll also go live on moxieandgrit.com. I want to also thank today's podcast before we get into the bulk of the show, Kuat Racks. Kuat makes awesome racks for all different bikes. They even make them for fat bikes and plus bikes. And I have the Sherpa rack. They also make a, a hitch mount rack called the Envy. And you can put anything on that rack and it's not falling off. And it's so easy to use. And if you don't want to have the rack on your car the whole time, it's really lightweight. So you can just take it on and off. And it's really easy to build out of the box. So if you're that person like me who doesn't want to deal with things that are a pain, It's kind of funny because my background is in engineering. So people assume that I love building like Ikea furniture and that I love messing with things out of the box, but I don't, I just want it to work. I don't want to spend time on it. And these racks are awesome. You just put them on your car. There's little assembly required and the assembly that you do have to do is super easy. So check out kuatracks.com, K-U-A-T racks.com. So I want to start with a quote that I recently read from this great poetry book. It's called The She Book by Tanya Markle. And make sure you check the show notes if you want to check out the book. But the quote is, it's actually a poem. It's, 
When she shifted from competition to collaboration, all the women around her became radiant stars in the dark blue sky, each one striking and rising without trying to outshine. So I love that. And there's so many great poems in that book. So it's called The She Book. But I just I came across that last night and wanted to include that in today's episode. So we've all felt it, that heavy feeling of jealousy, of envy, that feeling that you aren't enough compared to someone else. Have you guys felt that? Because I feel it a lot. Comparison is something that we can't help but do as human beings. We do it on social media. We do it walking down the street. It's just what we do. We look at somebody else and we size ourselves up next to them. But it can also make us feel like we're not enough. So how do you deal with comparison? So what if instead of feeling threatened by someone else's looks or success, you could actually help each other be better? There's another book. I love books, guys. So there's another book I've been reading, and it's called Big Potential. And it's by one of my favorite authors, Sean Acor. And it would be my dream to have him on the show. But this book is about how our success is amplified by the success of those around us, making it imperative to be aware of who we are spending our time with and also being aware of that we're not as good by ourselves and having good people around us to boost us up and to support us is really important. So check out that book too. It's awesome. But collaboration over competition is something I think about a lot in my business as an athlete, being around other women, even in my races, as I said, as a competitive athlete, my competitors actually make me better. And you can choose to look at your competitors as people who are threatening you, or you could choose to look at them as people who are going to push you to be your absolute best. And that's how I'm choosing to look at competition. And it's been a really cool mind shift whenever I started looking at it that way. It's all how you choose to look at it. So I stumbled across an amazing woman on the internet named Cat Canada, who has a website called Ladies Aloud, and that's A-L-O-U-D. I loved it because it was about empowering other women. And if you aren't a woman, you'll still get a lot out of this episode. But Cat created this environment where women can support one another online and help each other in meaningful ways. It sets the tone for every other interaction that you have in your life once you start realizing that people are here to help each other instead of to break each other down. On Ladies Aloud, there are inspiring stories, articles on conscious living, and it's a hub to find events. They're based in San Diego, California, but if you live in different places, she has resources also where you can connect with other women's groups. I love this podcast guest because we talked about what it means to be feminine in this day and age and how we can be more supportive of one another instead of threatened. And I personally am still trying to figure out what this means because as an athlete, I always found that I was trying to act like a man or like when I was going to school, I got my master's in engineering and I was one of two women in the program. And it's, it's like, what are you going to be doing to have men take you seriously? And are men going to take you seriously if you quote act feminine? So I repressed that side of myself for a really long time. So I thought that was a really interesting topic of this conversation. And it's one that there is no answer to. But I think it's interesting because Kat played soccer at a very high level for most of her life and in college. And when you're playing soccer, you're playing a team sport. You're on a team of women. And that dynamic seems to have inspired her along this path. I love this quote from Kat. She says, the well of success is endlessly abundant. One woman's success does not threaten your own. She says, amplifying other women is at the heart of everything we do. As a side note, what can you do to help amplify the people in your life? Power, friendship, and connection are built upon vulnerability. So it's when we start talking about how we actually feel, what we're afraid of, those types of things, that's what helps build connection. And that's what we all want. So let's get into this juicy episode with Cat Canada. Cats, so awesome to have you on the show. 
Yeah, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I just can't wait to get going. Yeah, and I love that your last name is Canada. That's super interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a new last name. My maiden name is Walker, Cat Walker, and my new last name is now Cat Canada. So I'm like, which one sounds more fake? It like feels like they're just (laughs) made up names, and I get such a hard time all the time. Yeah, it's so funny. I love it, though. Um, So I found you online and I checked out your website, Ladies Aloud, and I read a little bit about you online and I was really happy to see a lot of interesting topics on your website. And do you want to tell everybody what Ladies Aloud is about and what inspired you to start it? Yeah. So Ladies Aloud is a community that I've created originally starting on just social media of it being ultimately a way for women to find each other and to connect through, you know, like-minded topics, whether it's sustainability or finances or whatever it may be. And so it started as just a curated calendar of events that other women were holding here in my local community of San Diego. And it has just grown very organically from there. So now we host our own events. So creating a space of kind of safety and vulnerability and where women can connect in very authentic ways. So it started, it's still pretty new. It's just over a year old and it started February, 2017, which here was a pretty rough time, I guess, depending on which side you voted for, but not to make it political, but it was a rough time for me personally. Cause it, you know, it, the political and social landscape was something that felt very unfamiliar and felt very disconnecting for me as a woman. So I was trying to find my way of, okay, where are there women that I can feel safe with and where's the community that I feel supported by? And when I started looking around, I realized that there were a lot of women already doing that, already holding events and holding safe space for women to come and connect. So I just kind of was a little bit of, I kind of call it like a spotlight. I was just shining the spotlight on other women that were already doing things, just trying to amplify their efforts and amplify their voices and just try to get more women at their events. So that was how it started. And like I said, it's now organically grown to, you know, more of a digital space and then in real life connection for events that we're hosting ourselves. That's so cool. I love that. And it's great to have a community around you of like-minded individuals, especially other women, because I think that there's a lot of, I can do this too, especially amongst women. And I've seen that in mountain biking. Like if you go riding with somebody and they ride something that you've never been able to ride before, you feel like you can do it too, because you look at the playing field as sort of a level playing field. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's still some things that we have to overcome as women, because a lot of times, even though we want equality, we still don't see ourselves as equals deep down in certain situations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like, How have you made sure that the right women are coming into that area or does it just like self-select? It honestly, it really has just kind of grown in the way it's supposed to grow. And, you know, our little tagline, it's ladies allowed where everyone's allowed. So I think especially in part of this, you know, new wave of feminism, if you want to call it that, there's this idea that if you don't, you know, if you don't agree with everything, then you're not a feminist. Or if you don't, you know, if you need it, it feels very extreme. And in a lot of ways, even my friends who would otherwise identify as a feminist feel like they're not allowed or these like female, really female centric events are like, well, if I'm not, if I don't know the political situation or if I don't know the social situations, then I feel uncomfortable. The barrier of entry is really high. So what I've tried to do with Ladies Aloud is bring that barrier of entry down and allow people to say like, I don't know. I don't know the political situation of things. And I don't know you know, the history of maybe this 
social interaction and that's all right. And I'm going to show up and be very vulnerable and admit that I don't know, but come with an open mind and an open heart to learn. And with that, I think women feel that and can feel, okay, this is a space that I could come and I can connect and I can kind of grow from there. So in terms of women recruiting a certain type of woman, it's really everyone is allowed. And then you can kind of find what events speak mostly to you and which don't, and then you can decide on your own. Yeah. And you know, I think that you made a good point just mentioning the word feminism is that like in this, in the new age of feminism, it's really hard to know what that even means. And I think it means something different to everybody. And it's like, if you wear makeup, can you not be a feminist if you wear makeup or if you want to wear a dress, are you, and then men are really confused too, as to what's allowed because the, yeah, the Me Too movement, there's a lot of confusion, especially for men around that. And I think that there's been men that I actually really like and they're my friends and they are really confused are they like how they're even allowed to compliment other women. Like, are they being sexually harassing if they just say, Hey, that dress looks good on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in your yeah. conversations, how have you guys discussed feminism and what this new wave of feminism actually means? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked a lot about it. It's exactly the me too movement and All of those kind of situations are conversations that are being had. And I really believe that the more conversations, no matter how uncomfortable they may be, the better, you know, and we talk about feminism is being defined kind of how it feels the best to you. And like I said, it's going to be defined as different people. And I try really hard or defined by different things. And I try really hard not to put it in a box and not to put myself in a box and not to put other women in a box, but instead let it grow and let it reshape itself. And I think the more you're willing to have these conversations, the better defined it becomes for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to act like I'm the one who knows, or I'm the one who's setting the definition. I really want it to be organic to each woman because that's what creates those very authentic conversations of being like, well, this is what it means to me. What does it mean to you? And then how can we maybe meet somewhere in the middle or continue to grow simultaneously? together. Yeah. And I I think that's an interesting question because it's really hard to even define what that means for you. Like I've asked myself repeated, like, and a lot of times people don't even ask themselves, like, what does it mean to be feminine? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. Because like, that's been defined for us by society. And especially like, if you even look back in like books and movies, it wasn't always the women who were setting that tone. Totally. So you're right. There is no answer, but I think it's important for women to look at themselves in the mirror and say, for me, like, what does this mean to be feminine and what's okay for me and what's not okay? Right. And where does it feel the best? And I know, you know, your history or your experience in sports is like a whole nother thing of being not just equal in sports, but also, okay, I want to be feminine. And the like stereotypes of that is being soft and being, you know, fragile or this or that being beautiful but also my body is my vehicle and which makes me such a badass in my sport, you know? So also kind of rivaling of the, but I want to be strong and I want to be muscular and I want to be able to excel in my sport and be competitive, but yet I'm still a woman and I want to be able to define what that femininity looks like for me. Yeah. I think that there's confusion for me because like, well, women will try to be, we want to be taken seriously by men. So then we try to act more like men, but that's not necessarily what feminine energy is. So we want to wear the pants and we don't want to be perceived as too emotional and all those things that go along with like the stereotype of a woman. So Mm -hmm. I think that this is a really interesting time for us because we have to figure out, okay, like what does it mean to be feminine, but not what does it mean to just act like a man 
And those right. are two separate things. Totally. And I think that's a great point. Sally Krawcheck, who founded Elvest, I don't know if you've heard of that, but she talks about just that of like, you could be a woman, a leader in business or a leader in whatever your kind of industry is. And you don't have to be a leader by way of acting like a man, exactly to your point. And what mm -hmm. she says is, you know, we can be emotional. We can be, you know, our lot, we're still, we're logical. We just take, we think of all of the different options, whereas we're not as reactive. And sometimes that comes off as that we can't make a decision when really we're just, it's not risk aversion as much as we're just willing to take in all the potential things that could happen. And so I, I think exactly to your point of as women, we need to recognize our power and what makes us women, you know, in a lot of ways, men have been ruling the world and ruling most of the industry and look at where we are. <laughs> you know, there's like a pretty major revolution happening here of mm -hmm. women waking up to their power, knowing that it's innate and that we can spark change doing it the way a woman wants to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also important to put things in perspective. Like it wasn't that long ago when we weren't even allowed to vote, which is so crazy. So crazy. It's so crazy. And it's, it's sad. And it's similar, you know, the Me Too movement in that women have been having to fight for our rights, you know, from the beginning. And the Me Too movement, change is really going to happen when men decide to change, you know, and that you, we can speak up saying like, hey, stop assaulting us and stop not paying us the same amount and stop thinking of us as less than you. But we have a lot of power that we just need to really like bring to the forefront. And as it gets to the forefront, it's really on men that are going to have to change, you know, mm -hmm. and I just feel like this movement, this new wave of, you know, following in the footsteps of all of these incredible women who have come before us is kind of empowering us just really coming up and knocking on the door like, okay, we're ready. Take us in because we're about to flip everything that's on its head. Yeah. And I, I even think that like, as women, we have our own inherent biases. Like I admit that like, if I've seen like a female car mechanic, like I admit that I've had those thoughts like, oh, you know, but then it's being aware of those thoughts and realizing these aren't true. And these have been ingrained in me forever as like growing up. And like yeah. you said, it's, it's about being aware of those things. And that's where the change starts to happen. And for men as well, just being aware, okay, am I being fair? Am I treating this woman? Am I giving them equal opportunity? Am I looking at them as a sex object or not? Because how you say things, it matters. Like even the words that you call other women, it matters. Totally. So I think, yeah, being aware of that is important. But on the other side of things, though, it's like the topic of gender in general is getting a little bit blurry because there's like transgender is getting more common, especially it's like trendy now amongst like teenagers in some ways. And then also like for men, like what if they want to take on more feminine energy because they've always had to be stoic in their lives and play this role of what it means to be masculine. So it's a really interesting conversation just about what that means. Totally. And I think, I mean, I really do think that we've done a disservice for men, women, you know, people who folks who identify as like non-binary of kind of what I was saying earlier, of like, forcing one description, one definition in a box and that we're not, you know, we're all on a spectrum, feminine, masculine, we all have feminine, masculine energies in us and how that comes out in our external form, whether it's, you know, how, what we look like, what we choose to dress, how we choose to identify needs to be flexible, you know, and we're not, you know, I think men aren't particularly well taught at a young age of how to deal with emotionals because they're taught like, don't rub it, be a man, you know, don't cry men don't cry mm -hmm. where they do. And all of a sudden they grow up to being these men who don't know, I don't have emotional maturity to be able to deal with things and adverse 
is true as well of women thinking at a young age that like, oh, I can't be strong or I can't be a leader or I'm not good at math. It's these stereotypes, like you were saying, that were instilled in us in such a young age, putting us in boxes. We're making gender two things when really it's not. We're all on a spectrum of how that kind of plays out. Cool. So I want to talk about your experience as an athlete. Like you played soccer at a really high level for most of your life and you were on a team of women. So like, what was that like? I think it's, I mean, without a doubt, it's what has taught me how to be, how to seek out other women and how I think the biggest lesson you learn in being in a team like that and playing at any level really is learning how to, you know, on in a very like dramatic way of saying this, but putting your well being in someone else's hand, you know, the success of a team, you can only do so much. And on a soccer team, there's 11 of us on the field and I can only do one eleventh of our, how we're going to perform or how we're going to succeed. So it's that idea of learning that it's a team effort. It's collaborative. You're not competitive. You can't be competitive within, with each other to be super successful. And of course you want to be competitive at practice to like get better. But in terms of, you know, the other forward scoring a goal doesn't mean that you didn't also succeed. You know, you want, it's for the betterment of the team. And that's kind of, I think what has really instilled in my brain, the my reality now of seeking out other women all the time, needing a community, needing women who I can like defer to and know is going to have my back and is really going to support me in whatever my goals may be. So soccer absolutely framed who I am today. And like on your team, how did you guys deal with personality challenges and people who were acting competitive with one another in a team situation? Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about a lot of, and it's funny because the most, I had one female coach when I was quite young and I still adore her to this day and we've stayed in touch. So she did a really good job. I think the fact that I had such a young, she was a young girl or young woman at the time as one of my first coaches, other than my dad, of course, call it to my dad or soccer coach. But she really taught us that you can be a strong woman and have, looking up to a female coach just totally impacts what you see as a young girl playing like, oh, I can be the leader. I am the boss. You know, I do have the authority here. And she did a good job of just making sure that we stayed friends. You know, she kept it light. And even, you know, growing up when I had mostly male coaches all through my like very high competitive years, in their own way, they kept it light. And that if we were competitive with each other, they oftentimes let it happen. Like, yeah, like feel it. And I think what I loved about that is that they let us stay passionate they never dimmed our passion by telling like, Oh, girls behave or ladies play nice, you know? And I think it allowed us to stay really passionate. And then you work through the emotions as you do. And you come back to each other, like, Hey, you pushed me to be better. I didn't love how this happened, but now we as a team are going to be X times better because we worked really hard through this. So like if there's a woman listening to this show right now and they identify as maybe being somebody who is too competitive with other women because like sometimes it's just hard to ignore that and we all feel it at times. Mm -hmm. So based on your experiences and some of the events you've been to, what advice would you give other women who are feeling more competition over camaraderie? Like how do you change your mindset around that? Yeah. I mean, it's hard for sure. It's hard. And, you know, and I think it gets com competitive, but then it can also kind of turn bitter of like, well, why did she do that? Like I've worked so hard at work. Why don't I get the promotion? You know, and it, it's quick to kind of get in your own head about it. And I really think depending on, of course, the, the relationship, 
women work really well with communication. You know, the biggest difference between men, men and women. And there was a professor, I'm going to forget her name now, out of Georgetown University who does all of this work on relationship building between men and women. And women, the way that we become closest, if you think about like all your closest friends, the way that you become close is because you guys share secrets or you talk or like, Hey, let's grab coffee. Let's grab wine. Let's do a happy hour. And the way that we start to build trust is by giving little bits of really information that if gone awry, you could use against us. Right. So it's like, Oh, I, you know, it's a little bit of this or a little bit of this. And you start giving each other little secrets and that's how uh, relationships develop. It's, Oh, my best friend, the girl I tell everything to. Whereas men develop relationships by doing things like, oh, my childhood best friend, we played soccer together. We always played recess together. They do things and that's how they develop relationships. So I think for women, really the key is to like start communicating, show up and be vulnerable with her, who you're having struggle with and being honest with yourself. You need to be honest that you're, are you being competitive or does she really not deserve the promotion? Or are you just kind of being mean about it? You know, so how can you be more honest with yourself and identify maybe these traits that you need to improve upon? And then how can you communicate with it? How can you communicate it through whether it's to yourself or maybe going right up to the woman who you need to kind of work things through with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something that I've had to work on as an athlete, but it's like if somebody beats you or somebody's better than you, instead of like feeling less than, be proud of them and be inspired by them. And I think that's really hard sometimes to do, especially when you're very emotionally invested. But I think that does help build camaraderie over competition because whenever you look at your competition or your colleagues or whoever as people that can make you better, instead of as somebody that's going to just be this person you have to go up against every time who's holding you back, just reframing that mindset is really helpful. (laughs) Totally. And I think you're so right. I do think like, I think back in my years as a soccer player, not that it was that far gone, but it feels like it's far gone. It's only been a few years. (laughs) Yeah, it's only been a few years, but it feels like a lifetime ago. But I think all the time, like, was that just ego? I mean, there's a level of being a competitive athlete that you have to have an ego, right? Of like, what is driving you to be better? What is driving you to be the best? or to be in the starting 11 or to cross the finish line first. There has to be, and you know, I think ego gets a really bad rap. It's always been bad. There's a lot of negative stigma around it. And it's not, I mean, ego is what makes us aware, self-aware enough to do anything. So I think about kind of that exact thing of like the competition side of like, when is it healthy to look at a teammate as competition by way of improving, not just yourself, but if you improve the whole team improves and when is it getting dicey? You know, when is it, when are you no longer happy for their success? Like exactly like what you were saying. And when is it maybe going to drive you to be better? And I think that's, again, kind of going back before it's that self-awareness of where, what part of this is healthy and what part of it is no longer healthy. Yeah. And I think taking down the barrier of saying this is mutually exclusive, like you can still want to absolutely kick somebody's butt on the race course or on the field, but you can still be happy for them when they beat you. And I think that what that comes down to is if you like the person, you don't mind as much if they beat you. Yeah. And I don't know how to like solve that, but when people are nice to one another, you can be happy for them. But if somebody is like really mean to you, you just want to, you're not happy when they beat you. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it goes to the very beginning what you were saying of like, even in the um, playing field at the beginning of the conversation of if you can look at your competition or look at a woman you're working with and you see yourself in her, then there's this like level of connection of like, okay, I can 
I like this. I can assume she likes this. Maybe I can try to like talk to her about this or this and that. And it kind of is what I think will make you happy for other people's success, genuinely happy. And then also inspires you that you can also have that success, you know? And and I know we mentioned this earlier, but that the well of success isn't ever empty. Everyone can succeed and one person's success won't take away from your own. So it's really reframing the mind in that way of like, how can you see yourself and other people both when they succeed and maybe when they don't and stay humble with it and then move forward together in that space. Yeah, I think it's a good time. I wrote down a quote from your website and I'll just read it for everybody. The website is ladiesallowed.com. Dot co. Dot co. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll link that up in the show notes. But the quote is, the well of success is endlessly abundant. One woman's success does not threaten your own. And I think that just repeating that to yourself over and over is really helpful. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And it can be kind of tough at times, you know, but I think that's also what makes us human. You know, it's okay. You can be gentle on yourself and your knee jerk reaction is to be like jealous, be aware, and then kind of move on, you know? And I think that allow, be gentle on yourself on your own growth, I think is really important too. Yeah. And I, I think with jealousy, it's like figuring out why you feel jealous, like doing some journaling. What is it? Because you feel jealous because you feel lacking in some way. And so mm-hmm. how can you take responsibility for that and take action that way you don't feel that way. And then also whenever you feel jealous of somebody, it's because you want what they have. So instead of just being like mean to them, ask them for help and people love helping. Yes. And that's so, I think that's such a good point. People love helping and people love being recognized for being good at something. Like, yeah, I did work really, really hard to get this promotion and you didn't get it, but I would love, I can help you, you know, and people, I think women particularly we're nurturing, we're by our nature, you know, we want to help people as much as we can. So I think that's a great option. Cool. So I want to ask you about social media, because you work in marketing and social media, and you work for several brands. And how do you think that feminism and being supportive of one another has manifested itself in social media? Yeah, that is a great question. (laughs) You know, I know there's a lot of people on different sides and I think it's the whole like trendiness of feminism. I know people have, some people have issues, take issue with the, you know, feminist phrases on t-shirts and things like that. And I, I'm not totally sure where I land on it. I'm kind of on the camp where I believe if more people are talking about it in whatever way it may come up, maybe it's superficial to start, the better, you know, the more people sit with it, the more you know, the future is female or whatever phrase you may be seeing, the more it's repeated, the more it begins to soak into pop culture even, or begins to soak into our daily lives. I think the better it's going to eventually spark change or spark conversations. So I'm okay. with. I really am okay with it, you know, and I know I'm kind of just like, in a lot of ways, I don't try to identify that I'm anything other, mm-hmm. but at least for ladies aloud, we did go through a rebrand. And that was, I think when we really, when I felt like I was really aligned with what we were doing, it we originally started as Girl Gang Local was the first name. And it's very funny. It feels like it has evolved organically over the year, like I've said, but it's changed kind of its iteration a little bit in terms of what we stand for, what I stand for, what I want it to be. And at first in February, 2017, I was like, mad and confused and disheartened. And it was very much like this girl gang, like you're in or you're not, and it's us against the man. And over the years, really, it's really matured, you know, into being, what is it about? And it's sustainable both in 
context, but also in a movement. And part of that was finding the voice, finding even the look and feel. You know, I joke all the time that that millennial pink and rosé, though I love them both, it just didn't feel aligned. You know, there were a lot of other female-centric groups and brands and websites who were already doing it and who were already doing it well. And I kind of fell in line in a lot of ways mimicking it because they were successful. I was looking around like, oh, they did this well. I'm going to do this. And I felt that it was very, very forced for me and wasn't exactly what I wanted Ladies Loud to be about. You know, I think at least I can be emotional and sensitive and complex and multidimensional and that that millennial pink didn't always identify with what I was really going on. So in that way, I think social media is good and that it's bringing to light more conversation, but it can sometimes be a little distracting of like, what is authentic to you? So I kind of had to disconnect and start over. And that was kind of this new iteration of Ladies Aloud, the new whole new look and feel, whole new kind of attitude a little bit. So that was really, I think, finding the authentic kind of vibe is was what changed everything for us. Yeah. So like maybe a little less of the down with the patriarchy and more of the let's rise up together. Exactly. It's the sisterhood is rising. And I think that's the energy that everyone can feel and how, you know, if people are coming into it anti, that's one way. That's just not particularly our way. We're not anti-man. We're pro-woman. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to talk about criticism, whether it be our own self-criticism or how we look at other people and also the body shaming that goes on in our society, because the way that women are portrayed in the media is still it's still a challenging landscape. Like what makes a healthy looking woman? And like you still have like the really skinny supermodels, but then you also have like strong as the new skinny And then you're also seeing like some of the plus size models. It was interesting because one of my previous guests, she lost 130 pounds. It was last week's episode. And she was saying how like it's irresponsible to be putting plus size models out there saying that this shouldn't be acceptable. So have you had a lot of chats and discussions around around all these things I just brought up. It's like a can of worms I just opened. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. And I can't wait to jump in. Yeah, I've had a lot of discussion about it. And I think, oh, where to start? So I would, I mean, I guess I'll start for me is as an athlete, and you probably know this, and I was always very strong and it didn't always look like what the girls on the magazines looked like or the Victoria's Secret models. I was thin and strong, but my body was my, like I said before, my like vehicle, you know, it was my tool. I had to, I was lifting and I was eating and I was, you know, much a different body type than what people think of as that like perfection, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think that can be hard as a woman because again, like we were saying earlier, like you want to be beautiful and feminine and you want to be attractive and you want to meet people and, but also being proud of who you are and what your body is looking like and what it is doing for you. And I think I definitely went through my own struggle of what does that look like? And is it the muscles? Is it the food? What is it? You know, and it becomes such a mental space or like a mental game with women, you know, and men too, I'm sure identify in some ways of their own body image stuff, but it's really women who are in, you know, we've been held to this banana standard of being tiny with long legs and big boobs and perky butt and all the things, you know, and it's just not reality. It's just really not reality. So I love seeing um, more body positivity in campaigns, you know, and like advertisements and on websites and 
for the models that are being used, you know, to really show what the clothes actually look like and stuff. So I think it's great. And I think it's interesting what your old or what your previous guest talked about of it being irresponsible, because I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. And it's crazy because I think women's, you know, bodies, there's just such an array and they're all beautiful. And I don't think it's necessarily saying like, be unhealthy. I think it's more of love yourself. I think it's all about self-love and acceptance. And it doesn't mean acceptance in a stagnation way. It doesn't mean stop, you know, taking care of yourself as much as it's taking into account all the other things that women deal with that affects our bodies, whether it's Mm -hmm. hormones, you know, and if you're taking birth control or not taking birth control, is it stress? Is it all these different things can manifest itself in different ways on your body and whether it's overweight or underweight, you know, in a lot of ways, women can't do it either way, right? If you're too skinny, then you're gross, eat a burger. And if you're too big, it's, oh, go on a diet. And there's, there's a very slim margin of what is beautiful and perfect. So again, I love seeing models of all shapes and sizes and colors, um, representing what a real woman looks like, you know, and, and knowing that most women are still always trying to improve, you know, so to say like, oh, using a plus size model is going to tell people that they can be overweight and that that's okay. That woman knows that maybe she needs to lose weight. We don't need to be the ones to remind her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really like, as women, we need to support each other and create a society that accepts everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really well put, but like, (laughs) yeah. Like who is it that's defining what's beautiful? where did that come from? And how can we shift that? Because like, why is that? Why is it that way? Right. You know, and it's not us. (laughs) I mean, I would argue, you know, if it was up to women, we're not putting ourselves in heels to make our legs look longer. (laughs) You know, maybe some women, if that's what you're into, maybe I'm just not good at walking in heels. So that's my thing. But yeah, you know, I think it goes all the way back from clothes to TV to magazines. It's so crazy looking at ads and magazines of what the standard is of beauty, you know, and Photoshopping. And and it's a tough thing of knowing, like, I can look at a cover of a magazine and know without a doubt, all of that is Photoshopped. And yet that's what we compare ourselves to. We compare our like worst selves, tired in bed, reading this (laughs) magazine to this crazy Photoshopped, crazy expensive shoot, you know? And that's, I think it's, how do you disconnect? You know, I think that's a constant struggle for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, this is something I've been noticing because now there's like Instagram stories and Snapchat and there's the filters and there's mm. that filter that you can select that makes your skin look perfect. Mm-hmm. And we, I admit I've used it before and I feel the pressure to use that filter. And is that irresponsible to have that filter there? Mm. I think that's so interesting to say because I mean, yeah, I call it the make me beautiful filter. <laughs> I love it. Makes your eyes bigger. Like it does, it does all these things and you're like, holy yeah, crap, like this is insane. Skin is beautiful. And I love that you brought that up because, and maybe it's just my journey. So I'm recognizing it more, but the skin, skin industry and beauty industry. I mean, of course, makeup industry has always been popular, but the skin, you know, with Glossier and other skincare products that are now so trendy and Hmm. cool, you know, that I, I genuinely feel like we have all these other body image issues of what doesn't make us perfect. And now all of a sudden we're in our thirties and have to have skin like a 13 year old, you know, what is Glossier? Oh, Glossier. Okay. 
you might have seen it. So it's the G L O S S I E R. They have, it's a skincare company and they're, I don't know, just they're out of New York and they're the ones that millennial pink got millennial pink, like super trendy. Yeah. I was going to actually uh, ask you what that was too. I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about it. Cause I don't know what that is either. <laughs> okay. So it's, I love it. I love it. So millennial pink is the color of that, like muted pink color that you see. I don't know, kind of everywhere. I feel like Glossier got it really popular. Uh, there's this brand like Saturday skin. That's all that same color. It's just kind of, you know, now they're saying it's gen. What is the next one? Gen Z yellow. <laughs> they have yellow and that's what's like super trendy. So it's kind of just this like super trendy color that it's not bubblegum pink, but it's kind of more muted. So it's like, Oh, I'm like kind of grown up, but I still really love pink. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the me- millennial pink, what okay. it's called. Gotcha. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I thought oh, it yeah. was that shade of pink, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Cause I've, yeah. se- I've seen it back to Instagram. Like when you can like use the text, I've seen like the pink and then you can have the brown on the pink. So I yeah. thought maybe it was like that, but I wasn't yeah, sure. That's kind of millennial pink. And it's funny when I first learned of it, I was doing, and I actually think it was in light of ladies aloud. And I had a bunch of it of my, like the first, the girl gang and my older sister said something like, Oh yeah. Like the millennial pink. And I got so offended and I <laughs> Elizabeth, you're a millennial too. Like, don't be bringing this heat. And she's like, no, no, no. That's actually the name of the color. It's like, oh, and I had to like Google it. I thought she was <laughs> talking down not to disown millennials. Cause I am one, but I remember being like so offended by it. Okay. So like Glossier is like a skincare product. Is it supposed to like make your skin look perfect or something? Yeah. I mean, arguably that's what every skincare line would say, right? If you mm-hmm. use us, you're going to look flawless. Yeah, they just they have a ton of like celebrity endorsements. And it's just very, you know, like the beauty bloggers, and they all use it. You know, I've used it a little bit. I don't use it anymore. But that's, that's neither here nor there. You know, I think it's just a brand that's cool. It's very cool on Instagram. They have an army of Glossier reps. They actually are pretty incredible what they've done. They are ginormous started as a blog, and it's now grown into this product line. And it's um, talk about a woman who is like killing it. She kills it. But yeah, so it's just an interesting, I think skincare in general is very trendy right now. And it's created this like second layer of body image issues for when you're like, man, I thought I was out of the weeds. And now all of a sudden I have to like really worry about all of this too. You know, you're supposed to look like you're 13. It's crazy. It's it's so funny too. Cause I found like in my thirties, I'm not as self-conscious about like my body as I was when I was younger, like the body parts that I didn't like, like I still don't love them like I, you know like I should but I'm still I'm not as self-conscious as I was but now yeah. yeah it's like oh well now like you know I'm turning 35 this year I see like some wrinkles and I see like like a little bit of sun damage and you start thinking about those things and, and you're absolutely right you get like a second level of body image problems regarding your skin <laughs> yeah yes it's so crazy I'm the same way and I'm like oh and now all of a sudden my incredible years spent in San Diego on the beach in my twenties. I'm like kicking myself for I'm like, no, those are great memories. Like you should love that being in the sun. But now all of a sudden I'm like, well, these sunspots say something else. <laughs> yeah. And I think ultimately it comes down to just working on self-acceptance and, and that's never like, no one's ever going to just all of a sudden be like, yes, I've achieved self-acceptance. It's like the tide. It's like some days you feel really good about yourself and some days you don't. And yep. I think it's just being aware of that. But it is hard whenever you can just do a magic filter online and now suddenly your skin looks perfect. And then you're like, but you don't actually look like that. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm with you. And I think you're like spot on in of 
of knowing that it ebbs and flows, you know, some days you feel great. And it's been like this forever. You know, you're like, man, I am feeling myself today. And then the next day, (laughs) exactly. And then the next day comes around and you're like, wait, what happened? Like, what was it about yesterday that I felt so great? And I think it's just recognizing that almost detaching yourself from your emotions in that way of like, how can I detach from this knowing that it's in my head, you know, knowing that no one else thinks, you know, probably everyone thinks I always look fine or great. You know, no one would ever say like, oh yeah, Wednesday you were looking a little rough, you know, <laughs> like how can we detach ourselves from that, from those sensibilities of really negative self-talk and just know that the pendulum's going to swing back the other way. Like everything's yeah. going to be, okay. we'll come back the other way. Um, and I think that's just kind of the process of self-love and self-acceptance. Yeah. And something I've been noticing in myself lately is whenever I'm being critical of somebody I see walking down the street, cause we all do it. We all have that little voice inside. That's like, Oh, like, look at that. <laughs> like, huh? you know, that breeds more self-criticism. So like when you look at somebody and you see them try and look for the things that look good about them or the positive things, whenever we focus on the negative things, like we always say, Oh, well don't like, don't be negative and always like try and reframe mm-hmm. everything. But that also extends to how we view other people and how, what other people look like. So like if you're looking at somebody, this is something I'm working on, is like don't look at the things that you would be critical of because ultimately right. those are things you'd be critical of of yourself as well. Right. Like it's a mirror. So if you can like start loving other people and like loving on the things that that are good about them and that look good about them to you, maybe that will help with more self-acceptance as well. Right. And I think part of self-acceptance, kind of we were talking about in terms of other people being successful of you're judging other people based on your own insecurities that I think if you're quick to judge like, oh man, look at that outfit. It's safe to assume that other, you believe other people are making those judgments about yourself. So then you're like, oh, they're probably judging me too. Or they did notice on Wednesday that I looked rough. So it just kind of feeds itself of this cycle of negativity, you know, of like you're putting it onto other people. You're assuming that person's going to think of it of you. And now it's just feeding your insecurities of the part of yourself that you don't love. So I really think if you can like flip it, you know, again, going back to the ego thing, no one pays attention to us more than we pay attention to ourselves. So we assume everyone, you know, we walk into a party and it's like, oh my God, I was so awkward saying this to that guy. (laughs) That guy doesn't remember because he was so aware of what he was responding back to you, you know? So if we can really kind of pull ourselves away from assuming that everyone in this world is looking at us and he can see my wrinkles and (laughs) that they're so aware of their own wrinkles that they're not even seeing you. They think you look beautiful. I think that'll really help create this like synergistic kind of like ball of love, loving ourselves and loving on each other and knowing that we're all kind of going through it together. I think that is like a good place to start. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to your point about vulnerability, because to admit your insecurities about yourself, it requires vulnerability. And then to be able to admit those to others as well. But I found personally, like, whenever I am more vulnerable, and I talk about things that maybe I don't want everybody to know, and I do it publicly, it actually makes me better. It makes me stronger. It makes me feel less insecure, which it seems like the opposite would happen. Yeah. I mean, I bet having a podcast is tough. You know, you have to like really admit to what am I thinking? How am I moving through this? You're really putting yourself out there. You know, are people going to listen that I think every day that you do this is putting is being vulnerable. And I think, you know, with ladies allowed the couple of events we've had, I've moderated the panel discussions And holy cow, the first time I could like barely say, hi, my name's Kat Canada. I was so nervous, but you know, people want you to succeed. 
people who are showing up, people who are listening to your podcast, they want you to do well. That really helped me in terms of like, okay, I'm allowed to be vulnerable because I am pretty sure everyone in this room will catch me if I fall and won't tell me that I fell. They'll be like, you were fine. You landed on your feet. I don't know what you're talking about. And I think that's the vulnerability. If you show up vulnerable for other people, they're so willing to support you and reciprocate that vulnerability right back. And it's just such a beautiful relationship that eventually begins to grow. Totally. I love that. Well, I want to segue into some of the posts I've seen on Ladies Aloud. And I saw, number one, that it's kind of open that people can actually apply to write for the website. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking for writers. Anyone out there listening who wants to share their story, we are more than willing to take it on. That's awesome. And and I just want to make a, a little point for everybody. Like people have asked me, oh, I want to be a writer. Like, how do I start? That's how you start. You just start writing blogs and you j- just get started. Like you don't have to have gone to school for writing. You don't have to have like be published and have all this stuff. Like you just start doing it and that's how you get better. And and guess what? Like the more authentic you are, the more people will connect with you. So if, if there's some ladies listening to this, definitely do this. Like, cause this matters. Like you don't know the effect you can have on somebody. You can change people's lives just by telling your story. And I, I think that a lot of us don't think that that's true, but it is true. It's amazing. It is true. And I think that's so, that's such a foundation of what ladies allowed is, is, you know, I, I am a writer. I write for, that's my full-time job is content marketing and all writing. And that's so true in terms of you need just write if you want to write. And especially if you want to write for ladies allowed, I am arms wide open and the most like gentle editor because I've been there and it is hard. And sometimes finding the right words for your story isn't always great, but the beauty of some, I would love to be an editor in my lifetime. I love reading other people's writing and edit and sending it back and working to create this really beautiful masterpiece together. And I'm always looking for new writers who want to get better. I would love to like, you know, mentor and coach. And I think that's a direction that ladies allowed will go. And, you know, and it just starts with our monthly prompt. I think I'm a month behind, so don't hold me to that. But Mm -hmm. I try to put up a monthly prompt to kind of help people like, Hey, you're not sure what part of your story you want to share. Here's this little prompt send it in. We'll work on it and we'll publish it. And that seems to have been really cool. You know, people are really liking that and it seems it helps people kind of like, Oh, I do want to write, but I don't know what it's a good place to start. So check that out. Awesome. I love that. So I noticed that a part of the brand of ladies allowed and the the content is conscious living and sustainability and mm-hmm. with like products and like with how you live your life. What are some key pieces of advice that you can give people who are trying to live a more sustainable, conscious life. Start small, I think is the best starting place because it can be so overwhelming. And, you know, it's like, and be gentle on yourself. You're doing your best. You know, I, one, a joke that I, or one thing that I always talk about are, you know, straws, plastic straws. They're quite literally everywhere, all in our oceans and really horrible. But how many times do you not bring your own straw or do you get your iced coffee and you grab a straw? And then I like, for so long would like kick myself for it. Like, Oh, I'm single-handedly killing all of the sea turtles. And that's just not true, you know, but it's that idea of like, but recognize that, like, just know that straws are bad. And how can you maybe bring your reusable mug one more time or start keeping your, you know, reusable bags in your car instead of grabbing paper or plastic. And I think it's just committing to one habit and it will grow, you know, it'll grow very 
naturally because one thing feeds the next, feeds the next. And all of a sudden you recognize that everything's connected. There's it's integrated from your food choices. One, it makes your body feel better, like clean eating or organic food feels better in your body. But then you begin to understand like, and it's better for the people who are working on the field and who are growing this and it's better for our water system and it's better for our oceans. And all of a sudden the sea turtles are now also affected, not just by your straws, but also by your food choices. So all that though is overwhelming. So I would just say, start small and see what part sticks for you. It's quick to be like, Oh, I'm going to get rid of all of my products. But if it's not sustainable for you, it's not sustainable for anyone. So yeah, start with pick one habit and see if you can change it to being a more sustainable option. Yeah. And I want to mention the plastic thing and I want to hear like some of the facts because next week's guest actually talked about plastic in the whales. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, this is just hippie stuff. This is like, whatever. This is just environmentalist, blah, blah, blah. But like, this actually matters. And it actually, the more people on this earth and we're becoming a very crowded populated earth and it's going to get even more, it's important to take responsibility and these little things that you can do make a big difference. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about plastic and have our, have our guests listening to the show hear about that as well. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to like go back a little bit. This is the other thing about ladies aloud of the different iterations it's taken in that I'm multifaceted in that. And every woman is, you know, we have multiple passions and environmentalism is also one of mine. I actually interned. So I interned for San Diego Coastal Keepers. It's an environmental volunteer-based charity or nonprofit here in San Diego. And that was when I first started learning. And that was in like early college. And that was before the plastic bag ban here in California. And at the time, they was like, we will never be able to trump these plastic bag companies because it's cheap. They have crazy huge contracts with all of these grocers and grocery stores that we're never going to be able to get plastic bags out of grocery stores. And now, you know, 10 years later, you can't get plastic bags in grocery stores, which is such a huge, huge win. But that was when I first really started learning about just the impacts of plastics. And what Coast Keepers does particularly is focus on our oceans and our watersheds and any of our kind of canals and canyons here in San Diego and cleans them up and then teaches and educates kids about environmentalism. And I started thinking about how much plastic we use from packaging to putting different like produce in their own bags. That's like my biggest pet peeve. Like my, my avocado doesn't need a plastic bag. It has a shell. Like it's fine. It's not going to be, it doesn't need that, you know? So even just limiting the amount, because the amount that end up in our ocean is just insane. And it really, you know, we have those plastic islands now in the middle of the Pacific ocean that it's literally just mounds and mounds and mounds of the size of Texas. Yeah. Like literally the size of Texas floating around. Yeah. And deep, you know, and it's these, it's what the animals are eating and they get so small. The particles get so small that these animals really think that they're food. And instead they're now bloated and really dying of ingesting all this plastic. So that is one little part of the plastic thing for me. My other part is I actually also lead whale watching tours. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's a little like sidebar. Yeah. Um, I love through- whale watching. Oh my gosh. I do too. <laughs> And it's crazy how many, and it's just going right out of the bay here in San Diego, but that you see plastic in the oceans, just going off the shore just a little bit. You know, we go about like seven or nine miles out and it's 
the amount that you see and sometimes we'll be like, oh, it's a jellyfish. And you're like, nope, just a plastic bag, you know? So it really, really does impact you or impact the environment in such deep ways that if it's kind of similar to how can you live more consciously, if you could just eliminate a little bit of plastic every day, don't take plastic forks when you do take out, you know, definitely bring your own bag. Don't put your produce in their separate little baggies, you know, and that could just be your first step into it. And then you'll begin to recognize how much single use plastic infiltrates our daily habits. And it'll just begin to chip away one at a time, one at a time. But, oh man, I like can't speak highly enough about trying to eliminate plastic use. Yeah. The domino effect of making conscious and healthy choices really starts. I mean, it really does start this cascading effect because it all affects another, like what you said. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I think like clean beauty. So two of our events, our first event was women in sustainable fashion and learning about, um, you know, both sustainable and ethical fashion, the difference between the two and talking about climate change and why it affects women at a higher level, you know, on a global scale, particularly that, you know, it does. And especially in rural areas, women are affected by climate change more than men and how, what are, you know, and then how does that play into fashion? You know, I think it was, Oh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. So don't hold me to it. But something about one in three, one in six, maybe people worldwide are garment workers. And of that one in three are women. And which is wild to think that's how many garment workers we have. And what are they doing? You know, they're making our clothes oftentimes fast fashion that we wear once or twice. And then we throw away or we toss away. And it's these people who are making not much money at all, living well below the poverty line, kids often, and what is it doing to our environment? And then what is that effect? You know, so that's affecting our climate change or affecting climate change. That's polluting our rivers, polluting our oceans, polluting our groundwater, traveling across the country, crossing the seas to get to us. And then we're just tossing it like that, you know, so really being more mindful in our choices and our kind of in our everyday habits of what are we pulling out of our closet? How long has it been there? How many times have we worn it? And can we keep it in there for a couple more years, you know, before we just replace things on a whim? Yeah. And I think that some of these clothing brands actually, they make the clothes so cheaply that they wear out after one or two wears. So like there's brands out there like Prana and Toad and Co. Those are two brands I really like. And the clothes that I like to wear because it's made sustainably and it, it lasts forever. And like Patagonia and it's like, it might cost a bit more up front, but like, you're going to have it way longer. And saving you money in the long term. So fun fact that you said that. So I used to work at Prana. I actually um, knew that. Here. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's so funny. And a woman on our first panel actually launched the entire fair trade line of Prana. So she worked oh, at Prana. Wow. That's how we worked together. And she's just a force in sustainable fashion. But yeah, I think you're right. You know, and that it is maybe a little bit more money up front. But you don't have to replace it every couple months. And, you know, that was another part of the conversation of sustainability, like economic sustainability and kind of like the foundation of everything we said of just doing your best and being gentle in your decisions. But knowing that particularly as women, we are the like movers of the economy. We're oftentimes the buyers of our households that a sustainable decision, maybe the t-shirt you're buying isn't organic cotton, but you're buying it from a small woman owned boutique in your local town, that is more sustainable than buying a t-shirt from the mall, you know, from a (laughs) meet. Exactly. Yeah. Walmart for sure. That's a whole other thing, but (laughs) you know, even just just brands that we love that are at the mall too, you know, like, can you shop small 
And maybe, like I said, the shirt isn't sustainable or isn't sustainable fiber, but that act is sustainable, you know? So keeping your money within your local economy fosters a more sustainable relationship with it as well. Awesome. Well, I think that people can go to your website, Ladies Aloud, and check out all these great articles because there's it's a mine of amazing information. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And where can people connect with you? Yeah. So website's a great spot or Instagram. It's just Ladies Aloud, mm-hmm. A-L-O-U-D. That's mostly it. I was going to say Facebook, but like I don't really do too much on Facebook. I try to post our events a little bit there, but mostly Instagram and um our website or, you know, you can always shoot me an email too, which that information is on our website, but it's just cat at ladies I'd love to hear from anyone. I just more storytelling and we female connection, the better. So I'm all ears. And are there any plans to take some of these events like online so that more people can access them? Yeah. You know, I think we're, we're constantly looking for ways of how we're going to grow. We do have a couple exciting things kind of coming up of how can ladies allowed grow and like exactly what you said, amplify the voice and the lessons and the insight we're getting at these events and how can we share them with women everywhere. So stay tuned. That is definitely something that we're trying to work out. If there's anyone out there with insider ideas, please send it my way. We have a few ideas and some stokes in the fire, but we're always open on new ways to do things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really, really cool to get to talk to you and get to know you personally a bit better as well. And yes. I, just, I feel like really inspired and just really happy after talking to you. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited that you uh, tracked me down and we made this happen. I'm just really, like I said before, I'm just so honored that you even reached out. So thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I thought it was really cool. There's a lot of thought inducing questions and topics that we discussed. And there's a lot of things that don't have an answer. And like she said, you have to figure out what's right for you. So I think that there's a lot to be taken away from in this episode and things that we can go talk about with our friends and family. If you want to support my work, make sure you subscribe to the show. Give us a five star rating and a review that helps it go up in ratings in iTunes and it helps other people find the show or just email your friend to say, Hey, check out this show. It's awesome. Another way to support my work is financially on Patreon and that helps support the growth of the show. It helps get better guests on. It helps with the equipment. So thank you so much for everybody who is supporting the show on Patreon. And if you want to go there, it's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. I'm doing a lot of family trips this summer and it was interesting because I started thinking about this and it was how many times are you going to see your family again? And not how many years are left, but how many times? And say your parents are a certain age and you have, say you have, say you're lucky. Say you have 20 years left with your parents, but you only see them twice a year. Well, that's only 40 times. Or say your parents are older. Say you're only going to see them 10 more times. So how are you going to maximize that? And the funny thing was I had been thinking about that. And then I read a book by one of my favorite people on this planet named Jesse Itzler. And his first book is called Living with a Seal, but the second book is called Living with the Monks. And he actually talks about that exact same thing in his book. And it was crazy because like six months before I read that book, I started thinking about that. So yeah, we're spending time with my mom for her birthday. And then the next weekend for Matt's mom's 70th. So there's a lot of family time and it's easy to get caught up in just all the travel, all the biking, all the different things going on. And it's just important to remember that family is important. At least it is for me. So there's going to be some trips coming up for that. 
I know I'm rambling a bit, so I'll just say thank you to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. And thank you to you guys for listening to the show. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.